Well, Harvest Decatur, let me read for you our passage for today. This is from the book of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 10 through 12. Church of God, this is the word of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's bow in prayer. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for this truth. I pray now, Lord, as we look to this food for our soul, that you would give us insight and wisdom. Help us to know, Lord, how to be blessed in this new world that we're living in. Blessed and also brave in this new world that we're living in. God, would you give your servant utterance now. Help me, Lord, to faithfully teach your text, love your people, instruct by the truths of your word. I pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Let's just say amen together, church. Amen. Amen. Today is the last uh, message in our series, Brave in the New World. And what I'd like to do today is capstone all the things that we've talked about over the last six weeks or so with this message that deals with being blessed in the new world. Not just brave in the new world, but blessed in the new world. And throughout my, this, this series, you know, let me just reiterate, my, my goal has been to you know, cover these important topics, help us to understand and perceive what God's perspective is, not the world's perspective, but God's perspective on things like gender, marriage, sexuality, human dignity. Last week, we looked at marijuana. We want to know God's perspective on these things, even as our world is changing. And my desire all along is to encourage you to be brave in this new world that we're living in. Today, like I said, I want to capstone this series by showing you not just how to be brave in this new world, but how to be blessed in this new world. You can be blessed, Christian, in this new world that we're living in. We don't have to live lives of defeatism and despair, even with the changes in our world. The passage that I just read can show you, if you believe it, if you embrace it, that we can be Blessed, even in the midst of opposition in our world. And let me just clarify. you got to clarify in this day. When I say blessed, I don't mean hashtag blessed. I got a new Cadillac from Jesus. We are not talking about that. And that's not what Jesus means here. God's idea of blessing is very different from the world's concept of blessing, right? Y'all know this. And I think, you know, I didn't originally, when I started the series, plan on preaching this capstone message, but I I knew as I was preaching each message on each topic that something like this was needed to bring it all together, to finalize what it means to be brave in the new world, because I, I can hear people thinking this and saying this. Pastor Tony, if we really believe what you're teaching about gender, about marriage, about sexuality, about human dignity, about marijuana even, if we really believe these things in the Bible, if, if we act like we believe it, 
if we start to even be outspoken about what we believe, people are going to look down on us. People are going to oppose us. We're going to face maybe even persecution in this world. It's going to be hard, Pastor Tony. Yeah, it is. I won't lie to you. Jesus makes no bones about that. Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation. John 16, verse 33. But Jesus also said, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Jesus also said, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Let me just summarize what I'm going to teach this morning in a few sentences, okay? If you get these two sentences, by the time I'm done today, then I would have done my job as your pastor, okay? Some of y'all like it when I do this, just kind of summarize in a few short statements. So here's, here's what I'm going for today. You can read this on the screen. Here's the bottom line biblical principle that I want to expound this morning. The road to irrelevance is paved with cowardice and compromise, The road to blessing is paved with courage and conviction. Everybody got that? Let me say it again. The road to irrelevance is paved with cowardice and compromise. The road to blessing is paved with courage and biblical conviction. I want us to be not just brave in this new world, but blessed in the new world. Harvest Decatur, and you can experience that but it's going to take conviction. It's going to take courage. Last week, you might have heard that the uh, Boy Scouts of America went bankrupt or declared bankruptcy. Did y'all hear about that? I think it happened on Monday of this last week. And if you follow the Boy Scouts, you'll know that over the last few years, it's just been kind of one compromise after another from that organization. And, and I'll tell you, I like the Boy Scouts. I do. My dad was a Boy Scout. He'll tell you all about it. And it actually met a great need in this country's history, especially at the turn of the 20th century when a lot of, you know, urbanized young men didn't really know how to do manly things, and it helped in that way with them. But if you trace the recent history of the Boy Scouts, here's what you find. You find compromise, compromise, compromise. And I would say as well, likewise, with mainline denominations in our country, if you look at the way in which they've progressed over the last few decades, compromise, compromise, compromise. You know what that's led to? Irrelevance, irrelevance, irrelevance. Some of those denominations barely exist anymore because they have compromised so much. The road to relevance is paved with cowardice and compromise. The road to blessing, according to Jesus, is paved with courage and conviction. That's what we're going for today. Let's unpack what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5. Here's your outline for today. You can take your notes and write these down as we go. How should we respond? How should we respond to insults and persecution in our world? I'll give you three answers to that question. When people persecute you for being righteous, Be encouraged, Christian. I know that's counterintuitive. Be encouraged. Why? Because blessed are those who suffer for righteousness' sake, says Jesus. I know that's counterintuitive. I know that's countercultural. Can I just be honest with you about something? A lot of what Jesus tells us to do is counterintuitive. And countercultural, because we have this thing called sin, and we're so addicted to the world. When Jesus says, stop that, 
it takes, takes us a little while to embrace it. But Jesus says in verse 10, and speak about, speaking about countercultural, I mean, this is right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon ever preached by Jesus, by anybody, greatest speech ever given. And Jesus says in verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Just a little bit of context here. This is early on in Jesus's ministry and Jesus is teaching, teaching, teaching his people, preparing them for the cross. And Jesus is blowing their minds with his teaching. And Jesus steps out on a mount. People are gathered. People are enthralled by his teaching. He's making all the religious leaders angry with his teaching. And Jesus teaches the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7, this, this great message, this most famous, most memorized sermon that's ever been preached. And Jesus starts off that sermon with, with a list of beatitudes. You guys know these. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Who talks like this? Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Each of these statements is more counterintuitive and more countercultural than the last. And then Jesus ends with this incredible statement. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of God. People don't like you because you follow Jesus. Good. You're blessed. People don't, people talk down about you because you have moral convictions. Good. Jesus says you are blessed. People belittle you because your sexual ethic is not the same as the world. Good. Jesus says you are blessed. You are blessed. I think we get this wrong in America. I, I think we do. We seem to think that, you know, if, if you're persecuted or if people don't like you, if you're not healthy, wealthy, and well-liked by everybody, you must be doing something wrong. You must have made God angry. That's what happened. And, and that's not what Jesus teaches here. And instead of encouraging one another as we do go through opposition and as we do go through struggles, sometimes we try to theologize people's problems. Well, the reason you're suffering right now is because you must have done something wrong. We're like Job's lousy friends trying to tell him he must have done something wrong. Aegis Fernando, he says this, he was a missionary to Sri Lanka for 35 years, and he talks about this in his commentary on Acts, and he says, you can read this on the screen, he said, a common reaction of Christians when they see fellow Christians suffer is to look for something wrong that the sufferer has done. They seem to think that these persons are suffering because they have done something that's not in keeping with God's will. They may advise the sufferers or even rebuke them, just like Job's lousy friends. If a person is tired because he has done God's work along with his job and family responsibilities, he's rebuked for working too hard. When a person is unpopular in the workplace for taking a stand for Christ, she is rebuked for being unwise. When someone gets assaulted, and this could happen in Sri Lanka, by the way, when someone gets assaulted and ends up in the hospital for trying to make peace in a conflict, he is criticized for trying to act like a Messiah, not minding his own business. Those who should be encouraging sufferers end up discouraging them and adding to their pain. I don't want to see that in the church. We should be encouraging one another as we deal with these kinds of things. Notice that Jesus, Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus encourages those who suffer for his sake. He said, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, let me say this. I need to qualify these statements 
because there are some people that suffer uh, for the wrong reasons or who are looking for suffering or maybe enjoy the idea of having a suffering complex or a martyr complex. And, and Christians shouldn't adopt a persecution complex where it doesn't apply. Tim Keller says this. He says, if you're always being persecuted, you're probably an obnoxious person. That resonated with y'all, didn't it? He said, but if you're never being persecuted, you're probably a coward. If you're always being persecuted, you're probably obnoxious because Jesus wasn't always persecuted. But if you're never being persecuted, you're probably a coward because Jesus was persecuted. Don't you see that Christians, by just living a godly life, are going to upset people? You are blessed, Christian, not because you're persecuted. You are blessed because you are persecuted for righteousness' sake. That's an important qualifier right there. And if you're a believer... If you have Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you have the Holy Spirit living in you, you have this thing called imputed righteousness. It's inside of you. Jesus' righteousness has been transferred to you. It's inside of you. And that imputed righteousness is going to show itself in a righteous life, in a holy life. You're going to start acting like Jesus and being like Jesus. And you know what? People don't like that. People persecuted Jesus. They're going to persecute you. If you reject the sexual ethics of this world, if you oppose things like eugenics and abortion and euthanasia, if you refuse to smoke marijuana because it's cheap and legal and acceptable now, you might just be persecuted. And when people oppose you for that, when people chide you or disparage you for that, Jesus says here, don't sweat it. You are blessed. You've got the Holy Spirit inside of you. Jesus promised that later in his ministry. We, we get to experience that now. You've got the church on your side. You've got eternity to look forward to. I mean, what, what could be so bad in this life that that can't trump any persecution, any suffering, any opposition? We've, we got eternity with the Lord to look forward to. That's better than anything that this world has to offer. So, I mean, what's the worst that the world can do to you? Kill you? you kill, if they kill you, you win. You win. You can't lose. I mean, let's be real here. I, I want to be honest about this. In our day right now, in the United States, in Decatur, Illinois, nobody's going to kill you for following Jesus. Our country, I don't say this enough, our country has a wonderful Christian heritage and a, a heritage of religious liberty, and I'm thankful for that. I'm glad for that. Uh, we should all be thankful for that. And so maybe, maybe the worst that we get now is a little bit of, you know, bullying on social media by our quote-unquote Facebook friends, right? Or, and maybe some opposition by our family members, maybe some friends, maybe some coworkers, maybe some neighbors. But I want you to know that in some parts of the world, Christians do suffer greatly. Last Sunday in a church service just like this in Burkina Faso, a group of jihadist gunmen busted busted into a church service. They gunned down 24 Christians in that church, including the pastor. This was the latest of a string of attacks against Christians in that African country. That stuff happens in our world. When I was in India last fall, I was just having a casual conversation with the pastor of the church where I was teaching, and he told me just 
the story just random. He's like, oh yeah, you know, last year when we had a few baptisms, somebody threw a pipe bomb into our church building and it blew up, scared us all to death. And praise God, nobody was injured, nobody was hurt. The authorities barely looked into that. Just another day in northern India serving Christ. Do we deal with that kind of persecution in the United States in Decatur, Illinois? No. No, not now, but we do deal with opposition. And, and I don't want to minimize that or, or talk too lightly about that because we do deal increasingly with marginalization and being ostracized in our community. I, I feel that in our culture. I'll give you an example of that. On, on Friday, I heard that you know, there's only a few pro-life Democrats left in our country, and there's one pro-life Democrat in Illinois named Dan Lipinski. And under pressure from his party, he's actually struggling because he's a pro-lifer. And the mayor of Chicago, Lori Lightfoot, just said that Lipinski, for his views, for his pro-life views, is on the wrong side of history. You ever heard that before, Christian? You're on the wrong side of history. And you know, that used to be used, that phrase, I mean, it's, it's a phrase that's used by everybody these days. It used to be used for those who opposed same-sex marriage. If you were, you know, against that, you're on the wrong side of history. But increasingly, that's being used for pretty much everything that has to do with the sexual revolution in our world. So if you hold to, you know, liberty and, and freedom of religion over sexual liberty, you very may well be because it will be said of you that you're on the wrong side of history. But I should mention that in our Constitution, there's religious liberty, there's not sexual liberty. People lose sight of that. Now that phrase, the wrong side of history, is being used for those who are pro-lifers, who say that a pre-born child's life in the womb should be protected. I wonder what those pre-born children think about the phrase, the wrong side of history. Are the people who kill them in the womb on the right side of history? Now, before I get too animated about that issue or too many other issues and get you all worked up into an angry lather, let me say again, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, right? So when people persecute you for being righteous, be encouraged, Christian. Jesus said that it would happen. And we experience it. We get to experience something that he went through. Don't just be encouraged. Write this down as number two in your notes. When people insult you for being like Jesus, be glad. Talk about counterintuitive. Be glad because blessed are those who are insulted for following Jesus. Jesus says you are blessed. In John 15, Jesus says, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the world Remember the word, sorry, that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. 
Jesus said that. Now, why do people hate Jesus? Why do they persecute him? Why do people hate him in his day? Was it, was it because he healed people? Was that what they didn't like? He was healing people, helping people? Is it because he was this great teacher that just enthralled the masses with his teaching? Was it because he did some harm to anybody? No, he never sinned. He never committed a sin. He's sinless. And, and just stop and think about this for a moment. Jesus never picked up a sword, never killed anybody, never started a revolution, not, not militarily. And yet people still hated him. He was perfectly righteous and perfectly holy in our world. So why did people hate him? Here's why people hated him. Because he was perfectly righteous and perfectly holy. And he was unlike the world. And Jesus said to his disciples, don't be surprised if they hate you too. You're different from the world. You don't belong here. You're a nation of Abel's living in a nation of Cain's. And don't be surprised when people rise up like Cain and oppose you, says Jesus. I know this is hard for us, and maybe that's why I wanted to preach this last message in this series. This is hard. I like to be liked. Don't amen that if you know that to be true. I mean, I do. Maybe you like to be liked too. I don't like being disliked. I like for people to like me. I like for people to think well of me. But, but we have a cross to bear as Christians. We're called to this as followers of Jesus. And let's just face it, some people didn't like Jesus, some people won't like us for following him. It's got to be that way. And that doesn't mean either that every unbeliever will hate us or everything that we do as Christians will be hated. I don't think that's true. I don't want to overstate my case here or, you know, hyperbolize. Let me say it this way. There is an undercurrent of enmity that inevitably exists between followers of Christ and rejectors of Christ. It has to be that way, according to Jesus. And and we live in a day where that undercurrent is becoming more and more manifest in our culture. The Apostle Paul says this in 2 Timothy 3 verse 12. He says, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. You can take that to the bank, Harvesticator. John Piper says it this way. He says, all of you who are dead earnest about putting God first in your work and home and school and leisure will bump into some form of opposition sooner or later. None of us knows when our freedoms may cease or when we may be called by God to go to a dangerous place or take a stand here that will cause many to dislike us. Remember that quote from Tim Keller earlier. If you're never being persecuted, you're probably a coward. You're probably a coward. You're like, some of you might be like, shh, shh, Pastor Tony, I'm a secret Christian. Secret, secret, it's a secret. Well, I have a secret for you. Secret Christians don't exist. You might as well be Kris Kringle at Christmas time. Secret Christians don't exist. They never have existed. To be a Christian is to be a public Christian, is to say I belong to Jesus. There's no way around that. And it's not just Paul and Jesus who tell us that Christians will suffer for their faith. 
I mean, this is all over the New Testament. Peter tells us in his epistle, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. People don't like me because I follow Christ. Hmm, is something strange happening? No, says Peter. It's gotta be that way. He says, but rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings that you may rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. I can't wait for that day. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Hmm, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? It was almost like Peter was listening when Jesus was preaching on that mount. Peter says, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. I want that. Give me that. Apostle James tells us this in his epistle. He says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. You know, by stringing all these scriptures together and, and preaching, I'm not trying to scare you. I'm not trying to intimidate you. I'm just trying to show you that what Jesus taught in Matthew 5 about blessed are the persecuted, that's not just some anomaly in the Bible. That's something that's all throughout the pages of the New Testament. And Jesus says this in verse 11. He said, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. I know this is hard for us to hear, but I'd rather Jesus tell us than not tell us this. I'd rather he let us know this ahead of time. And by the way, I'll I'll just say this is too, that reviling that we're talking about here, I mean, that can come from the left, but that can also come from the right. Politically speaking, you know, some people might say we're crazy as Christians. It might revile us as Christians for saying that, you know, God is a God of grace and salvation is by grace alone through faith. Some people might revile us for saying things like Jesus said, turn the other cheek and love your enemies. Some might revile us for saying like Paul said, forgive one another as God in Christ forgave you. Who talks like that? Who's, who's spouting that political philosophy? People may revile you for saying things like this. Do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. Whose political platform is that? Micah 6.8. By the way, I'm not here representing a political party. I'm here representing the Lord Jesus, and I'm here representing his word. Jesus said, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely. On my account, meaning because of me, you are insulted and reviled because Jesus was insulted and reviled. And if you're doing that on his account, praise God for that. Jesus says in verse 12, this is when it gets really hard. This, this is when the passage gets really hard. You're like, it gets harder, Pastor Tony? Yeah, it gets harder. Look at verse 12. This is, this is a command from Jesus to you. Rejoice! <laughs> Rejoice and be glad when you're persecuted for your reward is great. Where, Christian? Where is it great? I'll tell you this, it's not on earth. It's not here. Hashtag blessed, Pastor Tony. Jesus gave me a Cadillac. That is so pathetic. Who wants that? Really, when you have rewards in heaven that are waiting for you. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. 
Jesus says this later on the Sermon on the Mount. Tell me if y'all have heard this before. Matthew chapter 6. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Y'all heard this before? I might have quoted it once or twice here from the pulpit. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves can't break in and steal. How clear is that, Harvesticator? How clear is that? If you, if you own a Cadillac this morning, I'm not here to shame you. I really, I'm really not. The same line of reasoning, quite honestly, can be used for a, a Honda or a Ford or a Toyota Echo. I just want you to realize right now that whatever you're driving right now, whatever you drive out of church with this morning, in about 30 years, that's going to be a bucket of bolts. That's going to be sent to the, the automotive graveyard to be used for parts for somebody else's car. And, you know, I, I remember, it's not like we can't be attached to our possessions sometimes. I remember when Sonny and I sent our beloved Toyota Camry green, beautiful, to the automotive graveyard. I, I'll be honest with you, I cried a little bit that day. <laughs> That was painful. In fact, I married into that car. So I knew about that car like six months before we got married. So I was like, all right, this this marriage is working out good already. (laughs) And I got to drive that car and we had that car for 15 years and we drove it up from Texas to Illinois and Chicago and then Arthur and Decatur, 300,000 miles. And I I wept when we said goodbye to that car. Actually, I I didn't even get to see it go because... Some of y'all know this story. I gave, it, I gave it to Hang too when he came back from Kuala Lumpur and he was driving it up in um, Davenport and he totaled it. <laughs> and I'm still angry about that. <laughs> I have not forgiven him for that. Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Right? And here's the parallel truth to that in Matthew 5. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. Just think about it this way. Think about it this way, okay? If this is helpful. Someone insults you for being a Christian. You take a little insult on Facebook or some other place. Cha-ching! Treasure's in heaven, baby. Somebody ridicules you for following Christ. Cha-ching! Somebody disparages you for saying and says you have a a puritanical ethic as it relates to sexuality. Cha-ching, baby! Treasure's in heaven! Is Is that crass? That is a little crass, isn't it? Am I trivializing this great biblical truth? Maybe. But I wanna, I wanna change your mind about the way that we think about things in our world right now. Jesus says you are blessed when people persecute you, when people insult you. You are blessed. Jesus says be glad in that moment because your, your treasures are accumulating in heaven. I want that. And I, I want you to see too how we can be glad in this world, even in this new world that might might be increasingly hostile to us as Christians. You know, in verse 12 right there, that is a command from Jesus. I said that already. That's in Greek. Can I get technical with you for a moment? In Greek, this is 
This is a verb that's in the imperative mood. And whenever the, the Greek writers want to give you a command or, or show a command from Jesus, they use that mood. This is a command right now. Rejoice and be glad. Jesus is commanding you, Christian, to rejoice and be glad in these moments. How is that humanly possible? Some of you might be thinking that through right now. Like, how is that humanly possible? How can we shift our emotions to that when we're taking it on the chin from the world? Well, our chin may hurt, but our hearts rejoice. Our feelings may get injured in this world, but our souls are glad. We rejoice not, not, just because, not just because of treasures in heaven. We get to share in a part of what Jesus experienced. We belong to him. And so we get what he gets, not just in this world, but in the life to come. And, it, you know, we're, we're not masochists. We don't like pain. We don't like being persecuted. But, but we rejoice in the fact that we get to share in something that belongs to Jesus. We get to share in the experience of Jesus when he was on our, on our planet. And also, Jesus says we get to experience in the, in what, what the prophets of the Old Testament dealt with. Go ahead and write this down as number three in your notes. When people mistreat you for being different, finally, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised because suffering is part of your heritage, Christian. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the German theologian who opposed Hitler in World War II, he said this in his book, The Cost of Discipleship. He said, suffering is the badge of the true Christian. Suffering is the badge of the true Christian. The disciple is not above his master. Discipleship means allegiance to the suffering Christ. And it is therefore not at all surprising that Christians should be called to suffer in this world. Bonhoeffer knew a thing or two about that. He was a martyr. He died at the hands of the Nazis in World War II. Martin Luther King Jr. says this in an article he wrote called Suffering in Faith. He says, unearned suffering is redemptive. And he knew a thing or two about unearned suffering. Jesus says, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. When, you. when the world derides you for being different from them, don't be surprised. When people scorn you for having a different view of gender, sex, marriage, and marijuana, don't, don't freak out like you're doing something wrong. It's to be expected. The Old Testament prophets dealt with that. Jesus dealt with that. Paul dealt with that. Jesus dealt with persecution for doing the right thing. So will we. This last statement in verse 12. Let's just look at the end of verse 12. Let's finish up this passage. This, this last statement is particularly sobering to me. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I've been in my quiet times every morning. I've been reading through the prophets 
And so I just finished Isaiah, which took about a month. I'm working my way through Jeremiah right now. That's taking a while. Those are big books. And, you know, all throughout Jeremiah, you just see suffering and opposition and insults and reviling. And Jeremiah actually gets thrown in jail repeatedly for his faithfulness to the Lord. There's a, there's a place, I read it this last week, there's a place where actually Jeremiah, he, he gets thrown into this cistern by this group of wicked leaders in Israel. And it's a cistern full of mud. They don't like what he's saying. They don't like how he's, you know, kind of discouraging the people with the prophecies from the Lord. So they take Jeremiah and they throw him into this cistern full of mud. And it says in Jeremiah 38, verse 6, that Jeremiah, this is the Hebrew for you, right? Jeremiah sank in the mud. Can I just say something about that? I don't want to be like Jeremiah. I don't want to sink in mud, Lord. And what's funny about that is, you know, Jeremiah, he kind of keeps getting put in prison, keeps getting persecuted, and then he keeps getting rescued by the Lord, and he just goes right back to preaching. And and in Jeremiah 38, it's like he gets out of the cistern full of money. He goes right to the king and delivers another message from the Lord. Talk about courage. Talk about bravery. I want that. I don't want the mud, but I want the bravery. I'm inspired by that. And Jesus tells us when we get treated like Jeremiah, rejoice. Rejoice. When we suffer reviling or even worse. You know, for some of you, this might involve an entire paradigm shift for you. Because maybe you got saved thinking, you know, if you come to Jesus, all your wildest dreams will come true. And life's going to be easy peasy from here on out. If somebody told you that when you got saved, if somebody told you that at any point in your Christian life, that person lied to you. The New Testament does not teach that. Eternity, that's when we rest. Now we work and we labor and we deal with opposition. I think, and, and I want to say this too. Sonia, Sonia asked me yesterday, she's like, how are you going to keep people from being depressed after you're done with your sermon tomorrow? <laughs> said, I don't know. I haven't thought about that yet. But it got me thinking this. Yeah, there's opposition. Yeah, there's difficulty. But there's also, to speak of my own experience, there's also a deep, abiding, spirit-produced joy. No matter what happens in this life, if you've experienced that, you can amen this. And it's something that the world can't give you. You know, when you look at the New Testament, I'll just ask a question for everybody this morning. What do you think the most joy-filled book in the New Testament is? The, the book that talks the most about joy, speaks the most about joy. What do y'all think? Anybody got an answer for me? Revelation, okay. That's not what I was thinking, but that's a good answer. I think Philippians. I think Philippians. And I'll just give you a sample of why I think that. When I, when I read the book of Philippians, I, I'm just, I just get happy. It just makes me happy. I feel so much joy. Paul says this. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice, Philippians 4.4. 4. That makes me happy. I want to obey that. 
In Philippians 3, verse 1, Paul says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. Paul says, finally, in chapter 3, and then he goes on for two more chapters. That's just like a preacher. Paul doesn't just tell the Philippians to rejoice. He tells them he is rejoicing. And he says that repeatedly. He says in chapter 4, verse 10, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. He tells the Philippian Christians that they are his joy. He says in chapter 2, even if I am poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Doesn't that make you happy reading that? You know what the great marvel of this is, the book of Philippians? The, the, the paradoxical, perplexing reality of this book. Paul wrote that book in chains, in prison, awaiting his execution. If Paul can talk like this there, we can handle a little bit of opposition in our day with joy. Can't we now? If Paul could rejoice in the midst of that situation, you know, Paul was not a masochist. He didn't love pain. I th why could he rejoice? I think he could rejoice because he was experiencing what his Savior Jesus experienced. He got to share in the sufferings. I think he rejoices because he got to be brave for Jesus. I think he could rejoice because his life was lived meaningfully and powerfully. And it was used by Jesus. Even when he was in prison, he was used powerfully by the Lord. And he wasn't bullied into silence by the power brokers in his day. And we shouldn't be either. He wasn't pressed or pressured into accepting the status quo. He stood for something. He stood up for the gospel. He stood up for righteousness. He stood up for truth. That is satisfying. The Holy Spirit generates joy in the life of somebody like that. By the way, did you hear this last week? Richard Dawkins, he came under fire for tweeting about eugenics. I just preached on this a few weeks ago and Richard Dawkins, if you don't know that name, he's the most famous atheist in the world right now. He's the leading voice of the, the new atheist movement. And he tweeted a few days ago this quote. He said, it's one thing to deplore eugenics on ideological, political, or moral grounds. It's quite another to conclude that it wouldn't work in practice. Of course, it would. It works for cows, horses, pigs, dogs, and roses. Why on earth wouldn't it work for humans? Facts ignore ideology who is brave enough in our world to speak out against craziness like that in our world who is courageous courageous enough to stand up and say no Richard Dawkins morality does matter and we are not the same as pigs and cows and horses and roses God has created us differently I started my sermon today with this statement. Let me just reiterate it again. The road to irrelevance is paved with cowardice and compromise. The road to blessing is paved with courage and conviction. God is looking for a few brave men and women who will stand up for the truth and stand up for biblical principles and be brave and blessed in this new world. I want to be that kind of Christian.
Not just a pastor, not just because I'm a pastor. I want to be that kind of Christian. I want to lead those kinds of men and women. I want to have that kind of church. Brave, blessed in the new world. Are y'all with me? Even if that means being ostracized, persecuted, opposed, insulted. I'll close with this. Finally, in closing, this is really my closing. I heard a story once about Jim Caviezel. He's the guy who portrayed Jesus in the Passion of the Christ. Y'all know Jim Caviezel. Y'all probably heard that name before. Caviezel said that there were times when he was portraying Christ in that movie that he actually felt like Satan, not like Jesus. And the reason he said that is because he, I mean, he was suffering so much as he was, you know, acting and portraying Christ. He was cold. He was uncomfortable. He was hanging awkwardly on the cross. Of course, it wasn't the real thing, but, the, you know, artistically it was, they tried to do the best that they could to make him feel the pain and, and render that as close to reality as possible. And Caviezel said in the midst of that is he was acting like Jesus. He didn't feel like Jesus. He felt like Satan because there were these obscenities that were welling up inside of him as he was portraying Jesus and people were over there on the set like drinking coffee and joking around and he hated them in his heart. It's just amazing to me. Even somebody who was acting like Jesus couldn't really be like Jesus in that moment because there Jesus was really suffering, really dying, really even suffering greater than we understand because he was separated from God the Father. He said, my, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Taking even the wrath of God upon himself and our sin. And yet he was never filled with hate. He said of those people who were persecute him, persecuting him, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. That's our Savior. That's, that's Jesus who we love and worship. That's who I'm calling you today to imitate. And I know, I know, I, don't, don't misunderstand me, don't mishear me. We will never emulate Jesus, not truly, not sinful people that we are. But we struggle to approximate what he's done for us for our entire life. He loved us first. He died for us. So let's live for him. Let's serve him. Let's follow him. Let's love other people. And let's be brave for him in this new world that we live in. Let's bow in a word of prayer. I'm going to pray towards that end, and then we can sing and worship together. Lord, I think I speak for all of us this morning by saying thank you for your sacrifice on the cross. Thank you for dying for us. Thank you for suffering for us. Thank you for taking our sin 
Thank you for absorbing the wrath of God into yourself in that moment so that we wouldn't have to experience the wrath of God. Lord, you made a way through your death and your resurrection for us to be saved, for us to be reconciled to our Creator. Lord, you've given us salvation. You've given us eternity. And nobody can ever take that from us. We are blessed, Lord. So God, give us that perspective. Give us that mindset, no matter what we deal with in this life, no matter who opposes us, no matter what insults we hear in life or on TV or elsewhere, give us that eternal perspective. Give us joy, no matter what we're going through. Help us to fix our minds on you, Lord. And the eternity that you purchased for us. God, I want to pray for this church. I want to pray for the men and women in this room. I marvel every time I preach here how attentive they are to your word. I know they have a hunger for you, a hunger for righteousness. And also, Lord, they have courage to serve you, to follow you in this world. But, Lord, I pray boldly for more. More courage. More conviction. more maturing as disciples who follow with Jesus. Holy Spirit, do that work in our lives, we pray. We pray in your name. Let's stand, let's sing, let's worship the Lord.